Hi, this is E. Michael Jones at Culture Wars Magazine. I'm the author of a number of books, uh, most notably in this regard, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, a book I wrote 12 years ago, and we're coming out with the expanded second edition in early 2021. I mention this because uh, the topic of our discussion is an article which appeared on uh, LifeSite News, um, probably the premier uh, anti-abortion site uh, in the English language on the internet. And the, the article was about how we have to join in the fight against anti-Semitism. Uh, after reading the article, I posted a comment on LifeSite News. Uh, comment when something like uh, Jewish political power is based on the control of discourse. The main way in which Jews control discourse is by accusing anyone of anti-Semitism who disagrees or criticizes the, the Jews. Jews use this political power to promote abortion. Therefore, LifeSite News, by joining the fight against anti-Semitism, is actually promoting abortion. Uh, that got posted uh, shortly after the article appeared, and it was taken down, I'd say, within an hour, uh, which is not surprising because uh, uh, other people have told me the same type of thing has happened to them. But uh, even with that type of vigilance on the comm box, one article, uh, one comment after another expressed outrage at the gratuitous nature of this article. Uh, what does this have to do with fighting abortion? Why suddenly are we being dragooned into another battle that it seems on the surface seems to have nothing to do with abortion? And if you look beneath the surface, it turns out that these are the people who are promoting abortion and we're supposed to be fighting for their right to censor everybody on the Internet. So faced with this puzzle, uh, faced with this contradiction, I turned to my friend uh, Dana Pavlik. Because Dana, first of all, uh, has been a veteran of the uh, rights of life movement. Um, uh, as well, uh, her father was a veteran of the right to life movement. Uh, but more importantly, they were both veterans of the right to life movement in Canada. And LifeSite News is a Canadian operation. And from the participation in the Canadian right to life movement, Dana got to know both Steve Jalzevac. Uh, and uh, John Henry West and the two main players at LifeSite News. And so she, I think, has the best explanation of what's really going on here behind the scenes. So, Dana, why don't you tell us what you know? Well, before I come into what I know about um, the Canadian pro-life scene, um, I'd like to address that article uh, from what I know about um, how it has to be addressed. Um, I'm going to be reading a little bit from some notes that I've written down here, just because there's so much I think that has to be distinguished and talked about that I just can't keep it all in my head. Um, so if I look down, just that's why. Um, I want to say that to address anti-Semitism is to approach the question of the Jews. That question can only be approached morally from one angle, I would say. It has to be addressed through a framework of right and wrong, which is the only way that will honor the distinction between a spirit of logos, that is docility to truth, and anti-logos, which is rejection of truth. Um, 
the LifeSite News article that we're talking about by Alan Fimster did not approach anti-Semitism from that angle. It approached the uh, issue of anti-Semitism from a right-left angle. That's a problem because right and left, unlike right and wrong, don't serve the just power, which is God. Left and right not only are categories which have no basis in reality, as right and wrong do. Uh, Pope Benedict, as early as 1983, called right and left mere emotional categories. Um, substituting left and right categories, that only serves worldly power, as I said. And that power, that worldly power, will allow you to choose only between two ways of serving it either from the left or from the right. And today, worldly power is Jewish power. Today, worldly power is also anti-Catholic. Those two facts are beyond dispute. Those facts tell us two things, don't they? Number one, that the spirit informing the Jewish power is not of God being anti-Catholic. And number two, that if you attempt to serve God through serving either left or right bogus categories, you're only going to achieve reinforcing the reigning worldly power, which today, as we noted, is possessed of a malign spirit. So for example, um, Father James Martin, right? He serves the worldly power today. And as I explained, uh, that power is Jewish. So he serves that power from the so-called left. He advances that power's grip by attacking God's plan for human sexuality. Now, LifeSite News, with its anti-Semitism article, is advancing that Jewish power's grip from the so-called right. Having bought into the left-right worldly discourse, instead of following the right-wrong discourse, LifeSite thinks itself to be fighting against the James Martins of the world, when in fact it is only fighting alongside him, albeit in a different way. And that different way LifeSite is fighting for the worldly power is precisely by fighting to redefine anti-Semitism to include criticism of the state of Israel. In so doing, LifeSite picks a fight with the church and even with its own mission. Every problem, whether anti-Semitism or anything else, has to be addressed through right versus wrong because, as the 19th century Cardinal Manning of England pointed out, every problem is at root theological. To address it on any other terms is only to exacerbate the problem. LifeSite News, with that article, exacerbated the problem by lumping together two different issues. Racism directed at Jews, that is, holding a Jew's DNA in contempt, which is real anti-Semitism, and racism practiced by Jews in Israel against the Palestinians. LifeSite is inviting its readership to sign on to the latter by understanding outrage against it as Jew hatred, when it is in fact an act of love. Okay, but now, you, why, why, I think most of the people who've commented 
were struck by the gratuitous nature of this article. In other words, why, why are you bringing this up? This, this is the kind of uh, uh, dumbfounded response that a lot of people have. Why are you bringing this up? This, you know, I can understand uh, you're, you're a right to life operation. You want to confine yourself to the abortion issue. You don't want to complicate things. People used to say this all the time about don't bring up contraception because that's a different issue. It's not a different issue. Uh, they're intimately related, but this does seem like a completely different issue. So why are they doing it? Yeah, good question. They they didn't answer that, right? It, and it needs to be asked. Well, so we can only speculate. Well, apparently you don't have a choice anymore. I mean, this suggests that someone told them they had to do this. Okay, so that that raises the question, uh, you know, who? Okay, I, I could speculate about that. Um, back in... Um, Go back to 1998, okay? Ever before LifeSite News in Canada, you have something called Catholic Insight Magazine. And Catholic Insight is the, uh, um, the, the brainchild of a priest called Father Alphonse Duvall, who was instrumental in helping set up the Right to Life movement in Canada. Um, so he has this magazine, and in 1998, he uh, runs an article called Israel at 50, in which he's critical of the state of Israel's injustice um, against its uh, Palestinian neighbors. Um, well, um, shortly after he ran that article, I don't know how many years, maybe five, six years, um, he continued, that little magazine just existed to bring the church's teaching to bear on uh, whatever the um, uh, uh, questions of the day, the problems of the day were. Um, which is exactly what uh, Vatican II told us to do, apply the faith to the, de to the day. Um, so around 2006, I guess it was, uh, the next thing you know, he's uh, being told, um, hey, we got to, he, you're running afoul of the human rights commissions in Canada. And the human rights commissions were basically just kangaroo courts. You know, they were supposed to exist too. I won't go into the history of them, but anyway, they, they ended up being politically correct thought police. So, you know, he gets this complaint lodged against him that uh, he's uh, promoting homophobia. Um, so, you know, $20,000 later, you know, his case still hasn't come to court. And, uh, you know, the, the magazine is threatening to be lawfared out of existence. Um, well, right around the same time, Mark Stein and Ezra Levant, um, two Canadian Jews, uh, they also have to appear before human rights tribunals in Canada. And their cases are high profile. And uh, um, they're going around um, complaining about um, Muslims. Stein in particular, and this is interesting too, Stein's objection uh, his, his, oh, oh yeah, Ezra Levant ran those Danish cartoons. He reprinted them in a magazine that he owned. So, you know, that's what he was being hauled before them for. Um, and Stein had written a book where he was, um, you know, belittling Muslims. But get a load of the way Stein would do it. Stein would say things like uh, he would chide them for being insufficiently um, progressive, you know, like, what is it with Saudi Arabia? You know, why don't you guys uh, learn feminism? 
don't you, why don't, you know, feminist, feminism could teach you about how to treat women. And, you know, why are you so homophobic? So really all he's doing is um, endorsing as a corrective the very progressivism that uh, uh, they, H, the Human Rights uh, Commission exists to um, throw down your, uh, you know, enforce on you. So anyway, they, they, their, their cases are high profile. I think Levant might have mentioned the Catholic Insight case when he was uh, uh, litigating his own. And, um, and then curiously enough, um, in 2008, uh, the charges against uh, Father Duvall were dropped. I think, uh, I think the guy started again with them, but I don't think anything came of it. But they were dropped. And I remember at the time, I can't remember specifically, but I remember my father, who was on the editorial board at Catholic Insight, telling me, you know, this, this, this Ezra Levant, you know, a pretty impressive character. I, I don't know whether, you know, he was seen as really helping Father Duvalk out. And um, uh, so that's nice. That's good. I would say if he helped him out, you know, that was certainly a, 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 um, a pro-logos thing to do. But the curious thing was, is that in Catholic Insight, no more did you have a criticism of Israel then. And I spoke with Father. Did you, did you bring this up to Father Duvall? Yeah, I did. Did you ask him why suddenly why we're not talking about Israel anymore? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, I, at the time in 1998, I wasn't really I didn't really appreciate how important that that question was. But by 2011, I did appreciate it, and I and I appreciated it because I had started reading your stuff, and uh, and I started to get an idea of that I didn't realize the Jewish uh, influence in the culture of death. I did not know it, so I brought it up with Devolk in um, 2011, and he said to me, he didn't deny it. He just he was sad, you know. He just said to me, "You can't bring it up. You just you just can't." You just can't. And I think what he meant by that was, um, you know, uh, you would be you would be drummed out of publishing if you did. Well, yeah. is that what LifeSite yeah. is facing? Yeah, yeah. We're we're talking specifically about the testimony of people like Bernard Nathanson in the United States, who in his memoir Nathanson was an abortionist. Not only that, but he was the main driving force behind behind overturning. Uh, anti-abortion laws in the state of New York, which then led to the overturning of anti-abortion laws throughout the United States of America. He, in his memoir, after he converted first uh, from uh, uh, the pro-abortion position and then finally converted to Catholicism, he said if people had known back then that abortion was the work of a couple of crazy Jews from Greenwich Village, uh, they would have dealt with this differently. Well, I think that's that's part of the story here. Uh, we're constantly shadowboxing here, and no one's allowed to state the obvious, namely that Jews are behind abortion, both here and even more so in Canada. Canada, you had a, a Jewish doctor by the name of Henry Morgenthaler, uh, who uh, had Jewish privilege uh, because, especially because he had been in a concentration camp and had the tattoos to prove it, and he flagrantly broke the law. He broke the law consistently, uh, performed abortions, and the government wouldn't touch him because he had Jewish privilege. Now, all of that is part of the background that we need to know if we're going to fight abortion 
in any way that's effective. And all of that is, you're unable to mention any of that at LifeSite News. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there's a, you know, a fear. It's bad enough. But then when you when you add insult to injury by then saying we have to support the very forces that created this abortion monster in the first place, that's going too far. That's going that's going way too far. Yeah, I don't I don't think they I think they don't appreciate how um, how this problem is Jewish. I think, and I think they don't Look, want to understand it. It's more that it's more than that they don't understand it. They don't want to understand it because if you they don't want, that's the difference. They don't want to, and that's it. uncharitable. That's that's incredibly uncharitable because what you end up doing is fighting your brethren who do understand it and are willing to engage it, and you're attacking them as anti-Semites. That is really, really wrong. It's really, really against the gospel. It's also, uh, it's also a sin against the Holy yes. Spirit. Because you're denying the known truth. And you're, it's not that you don't know. You don't want to know. Yeah. That's the difference here. And that's why it's sinful. That's why the behavior is sinful. And that's why it leads to further uncharitable behavior, which is basically uh, you're going to denounce fellow Catholics uh, with the worst insult, career-ending insult, or or jail-beginning insult on the face of the earth right now. Well, that's serious. This is serious business. Yeah. It's serious business uh, We because we have a converso crisis in the church right now. We have Jews who are converting to Catholicism, which is what we are trying to bring about. But they're converting the water of baptism isn't even dry on their foreheads, and they're denouncing fellow Catholics as anti-Semites. Well, this is not conversion. I'm sorry. You know, it's not just automatic here. You have to change your attitudes. And if you bring this ugly, racist attitude into the Catholic Church with you, I'm calling your conversion into question. It's that simple. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I... I um. You know, the, 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 the whole article was full of irony, full of irony. Um, I can mention a few instances of that that I found. Number one, which um, I said that LifeSite News was undermining its own mission in running it. The very first paragraph of that art article had uh, a statement about how the Nazi Holocaust was the worst Holocaust the world had ever known. That is simply not true. And LifeSite News is the first place that should know it. The worst Holocaust after our Lord's crucifixion that ever hit the face of the earth is the Holocaust of the unborn. In, 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 if you're talking sheer numbers or sheer savagery or innocence, abortion Holocaust outstrips it. So right away, through acting in fear, wanting to to appease the Jewish power so that they can keep going. They've already tossed their raison d'etre out the window. Right. Um, secondly, this was, this was a battle that happened uh, years ago where suddenly as, so, as soon as uh, people started using the word Holocaust to refer to abortion, the Jews objected because they want to have monopoly power over that word and and they want to, this to be defined as the worst crime in human history. And this, this is what they're doing. 
they're, as you said, they're undermining the very position that they should be taking on abortion, which from sheer numbers alone is much worse. Even with, if you accept whatever number they're giving, an exaggerated number, according to many people, even if you accept that, the abortion Holocaust dwarfs that mm-hmm. by several levels mm-hmm. of magnitude. Mm-hmm. And then, and then it was ironic also because um, this article contradicted another article that LifeSite News uh, ran in 2018 by Micah Hickson, um, which um, was revisiting the reaction to an essay that um, Pope Benedict, uh, uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict, had penned and had run in Communio of that year. Um, and it was met with outrage by um, uh, the uh, uh, the German um, rabbis there, as well as the uh, Catholic uh, members of the Catholic episcopacy there. Well, what did he have to say? One of the things that he had to say is that the church, he didn't say himself, he said the church never, never signed on to a Jewish state when they recognized Israel. They did not want it to be recognized as some sort of political messianism, some sort of theological state. Well, here's, so there's LifeSite News in 2018 telling their readers as they should, look how, and and guess what, and guess what the rabbis called um, uh, uh, Benedict, you know, this is, this is anti-Semitism. You're talking this way. Now they're going to run an article two years later saying that if I don't recognize the Jewish state, I'm an anti-Semite too. Well, which is it? Are you with Pope Benedict? Was he right about the church or is he an anti-Semite? Well, no, this, this is part of the mission creep that is inevitably associated with the word anti-Semitism. Right. It's never enough. It's never enough. You try and define the word. You try and say it came into existence at a certain time. You say it has to do with racial thinking and so on and so forth. No, no. We have to, it goes on and on and on to the point where now we are in the middle of a huge uh, cultural offensive in which everyone is going to be forced to accept the international Holocaust, uh, whatever uh, definition of anti-Semitism, which is basically anything the Jew doesn't like, or any type of criticism of Jewish behavior will now be considered anti-Semitic. And in certain parts of the world, you will go to jail if you say anything that a Jew doesn't like. Now, this is not an exaggeration. No. No. Okay. I was was asked to speak uh, in, in, in London, the London Forum run by a man by the name of Jez Turner. Jez Turner uh, after that fact, after I gave my speech, we had a good, it's on the internet, good conversation. Uh, he published a video uh, criticizing the Jewish police force in London, saying it was unconstitutional and went against everything that the British uh, uh, people, the English people believed in, in terms of police enforcement. Now, no one, uh, no one contested the factuality of what Jez Turner said. No one. But... Uh, uh, that's not an issue anymore. If a Jew doesn't like what you say and claims that he was offended by what you say and claims that what you said is anti-Semitism, you go to jail. And Jed Turner went to jail because of that. This is an outrage. 
This is tyrannical behavior and no decent thinking person can accept it or go along with it. But it didn't stop there. Okay, I was supposed to go to France in September, give a talk to the, the descendants of the Vendée, the Chouin, and uh, I was supposed to speak with Hervé Richon in Lille and then Alan Soral in Paris. I didn't get to go because of COVID restrictions. Uh, I found out after the fact, Hervé Richon was thrown in prison for three years for saying something Jews don't like. Alan Soral uh, was again threatened with prison and had to escape to Switzerland to escape from this. Now, what I, what uh, Jonathan Cook just wrote about, he's saying that there is now a reign of terror in Europe. He cited the, the attack on Jeremy Corbyn, the evisceration of the Labour Party. I mean, this is not a small group of people without political influence. The complete evisceration of the Labour Party in England and the fear that everyone in Europe is now living under out of the, the, the worrying that something they're going, some Jew is going to find offense, take offense at something they said. Well, maybe we can talk a little bit about the mechanism by which that happens. Okay. Um, let's go return to that IHR defi IHRA definition, the Ill, uh, International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance's definition. <clears throat> that is implicitly, by the way, what that LifeSite article was endorsing. And by the way, EWTN did the same thing in November when it interviewed Elon Carr, um, who was the anti-Semitism, is the anti-Semitism monitor for the, um, um, the US government, a post which um, as of December 17th um, was elevated, um, at, least, at least they want to elevate the envoy status to ambassador status and the legislation to do that was advanced and passed the Senate unanimously on December 17th. And if you read, I don't think this made uh, the news that we are supposed to consume. But if you go and look at the Jewish press, um, like I was reading about it from the Jewish forward, um, they were saying uh, that uh, this gives them much uh, the charge of anti-Semitism, great gravitas at globally um, so that they can, um, you know, um, uh, uh, levy it with abandon. Um, so uh, you were saying that it's anything a Jew doesn't like. Some people might hear that and think, uh, come on, you're overstating the case. No, you're not. If you look at the definition, the IHRA definition, what does it say? It says, first of all, chutzpah-like, um, you know, we're going to clarify this. We need to define what it is. Okay, great. Let's clarify it and let's define it. How do they define it? They say, Anti-Semitism is a certain, a, certain, a certain perception of Jews which may be defined as hatred. Okay, that's called not a definition, that's called subjectivism. That means anti-Semitism is in the eye of the uh, alliance's, uh, uh, is, uh, alliance members' eye. That's whatever he sees it to be is what it is. Now that's also what you call a relativist definition. Relativism is completely opposed to the moral law, which is what the church says you, you have to view the question of anti-Semitism through. So we have two frameworks. Are we gonna look at anti-Semitism through a moral law framework? Or are we gonna view it through a framework of relativism, which means we're gonna view it, we're gonna run it through the desires and egos 
of the Jews who get to uh, whose perception counts. Well, wait, now that now at that point, when, when you say relativism, it's like, oh, one guy says this and one guy says that and we just throw up our hands. That's not what that's not what's going on here. What we're saying here is the truth is the opinion of the power, which is the same the thing, power- which is the same thing, because if your perceptions get to drive this, then you're the guy in power. And anti-Semitism is the opinion of the Jewish powerful. That's right. And so it is ipso facto true. It's true because they said it. Right. That we've been through the same rigmarole here with the election. Okay, the New York Times announced that we determine who is president. In other words, it doesn't it's not the legislature, it's not the electors, it's the media. The media determine who is going to be president. The media determine reality. Well, this is simply a variation on that same theme that goes, as as we we know, goes all the way back to Plato, with uh, Plato trying, or Socrates trying to say there's something objective about truth, and Thrasymachus saying, no, truth is the opinion of the powerful. Justice is the opinion of the powerful. That's it. We are back to yeah. that. We are back to that yeah. stage. It's, it, they, these people are trying to erase 2,000 years of Logos. 2,000 years of intellectual development, 2,000 years of a legal system, the development of a legal system that tries to put any of these claims on an objective basis. And not only erase it, but replace it with a dictatorship. That's what, and they are the dictators. Benedict warned in 2005, he said, we are witnessing the building of a dictatorship of relativism. Incidentally, he said that one year after that office of um, monitor for anti-Semitism was created in the United States, 2004. Okay. Part of the problem is, again, Benedict is always slightly off the mark. He's always a day late and a dollar short. So there's always something true about what he says, but yet it's never quite true. Well, it's awfully so he helpful says, here. It's going to be if 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 Steve Jalsevac and John Henry Weston are listening, now they've got the grounds to understand why what they did um, in running that article and appeasing um, uh, uh, um, the Jewish power, even if they didn't understand themselves to be doing that, um, that they did do that. Because when they... When they do that, when they, um, if you endorse the IHRA definition of, uh, of, um, of uh, anti-Semitism, you are endorsing a relativist definition. And if you endorse relativism, you are endorsing a dictatorship, which is exactly what the church at this moment needs to be fighting. Yes. So we have to fight against relativism. Yeah, which they are. They're using so, relativism because if you use relativism, it, it looks like procedural neutrality. It looks like, oh, I'm just for everybody being fair here. No, you're not, because your desires, if everybody gets to adjudicate his matters according to his own will, well, don't tell me the Jews don't have a will also, and their will is to run the show. So relativism allows them to do that. It allows them to be the definers of anti-Semitism. Excuse me, anti-Semitism is something objective. It's not something you create, uh, you, you get to decide what it is. It is it, that's just completely irrational and immoral to boot. Yes, but when, when you say relativism, you get the sense that uh, you, know, you have two equally valid opinions that you can't make a, a, a No, it's not that, about. it's not it, that. It's not saying you can't make a distinction. It's saying that um, 
all that matters is what you want. Truth is one's conception of things. It's not that you can't tell them apart. It's that there's no need to. My, the Supreme my, Court uh, valid, validated that. The Supreme Court, valid, that's the mystery clause in Planned Parenthood versus Right, Casey. and who backed it up? The Jews. So, but wait a minute, let's get back to that. The, to Planned Parenthood versus Casey says you have the right to determine truth. Well, it never comes down to that in reality. The powerful determine truth. You don't, you, you're, you're given the illusion that you have some way of determining it, but the powerful determine it. And this is the way they determine it by controlling the discourse or creating these puppet front institutions that go along with their agenda. Yeah. So, so if you're going to, um, so if you're going to address the matter, um, if, if you're going to address the matter um, as a left right issue, you're going to get it wrong. You have to address it as if you're going to talk about the Jews, you're going to have to talk about which Jews. Okay. Steve Jelsevec jumped in the comm box and said, the problem with anyone critiquing this article is that they lump all Jews together. No, Steve, I'm afraid that's uh, the pot calling the kettle black. Because what Steve lumps together is the Jewish, uh, two Jewish spirits, which are completely opposed. The Jewish spirit that's implicit in the fact that Jesus Christ was Jewish and his all the prophets and all the apostles. Okay. And then the, Jew and then the Jewish spirit, there's another Jewish spirit, which is malignant, which is the rejection of the rebellion against God. Steve lumped those two together in running that article. Those two spirits are completely incompatible, have to be completely distinguished. And you have to look at the Jews in power. If you're and here, I'm using the word Jewish to um, in, a, in its ethnic sense and determine what that guy's working on. Is he working off of a spirit of logos, which is the, Jew, the, 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 the Jewish spirit that is so good as to be divine um, uh, born of Christ as it is, or is he running off of the rebellious spirit, which is the rejection of Christ? And there is no doubt that the Jewish power that uh, we're faced with today is born of the rebellious spirit. How do we know? Because look at what freedom, what we're told freedom is today by these hegemons. It looks like pornography. It looks like abortion. It looks like Every usury, everything that's an abomination to God, we are supposed to kneel before and call freedom and dignity. And here's and here's the, the, the biggest point, I think, that has to be made. The cowardice that refuses to distinguish my wanting to address that spirit of rebel rebellion, which is as ancient as Satan, okay, with a putative desire on my part to war with flesh and blood, as St. Paul puts it. When they do that, they do it, they, they're pretending that if you address the spirit and are not afraid to go after it, even if the, uh, uh, the Jew is a hegemon and, and, and charge that Jew with possessing that rebellious spirit, they pretend that, oh, you know what? If you do that, that's really indistinguishable for calling for his uh, head to roll. And he invites you to look upon it that way too. Well, you know what the truth is? The truth is if you don't address that rebellious spirit, other heads are gonna to continue to rule. The heads of the unborn, the heads of the Palestinians, the heads of the opioid victims of the Sacklers, and so on and so on.
this this it, it's helpful i found to talk about the jewish people instead of the jews okay because the jews is too broad a category but the jewish people is not because the jewish people has been mobilized politically from from the beginning and the the they are the people who control the jews if you want to put it that way the jewish people it used to be the sanhedrin they're the people that riled up the jewish people they are the ones that got the jewish people to start shouting crucify him okay and uh they are the ones who are doing the same well, thing don't you today. think that's a little imprecise because i mean in if you go back to our lords fighting the jewish power of his day i mean there were all sorts of jewish people that he didn't have to fight so i think it would be better to speak of the mobilization of uh the the spirit of rebellion you know the the, mo the mobilization of, of 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 the jewish rejection of logos about exactly that the political mobilization of the jewish people which which claims to have the entire group the jewish people behind them but does not it simply does not it never has it never will so back then uh did every jew in jerusalem shout crucify him no but the jews mobilized a certain group of people to do that and, and sometimes uh, their apologists try to say, well, it was the Jewish leaders who called for his death, not the Jewish people. No, you can't have Jewish leaders without Jewish followers. And that is true up to today where the Sanhedrin has now been replaced by IPAC, uh, which tries to constantly generate fear in the Jewish people to keep them uh, mobilized through their agenda. Uh, the American Jewish Committee, B'nai B'rith, we know the names of these major Jewish organizations. That's the Sanhedrin of today. That's the group of people that is mobilizing, using Jews, little Jews, as human shields to advance, advance their agenda. That's a distinction that's worth making because there are Jews that do object. But ultimately, uh, the gist of the article that I sent you by Jonathan Cook about the reign of terror in Europe right now is that the big Jews are turning against any Jew who disagrees with their agenda now. They are breaking their own sense of solidarity. And so they're going after any Jew that supports the uh, boycott. Any Jew who criticizes Israel is now going to be demonized every bit as much as the, the Goyim. Well, that's the, be, because, because, because ultimately they're not really concerned about um, your ethnicity. They're, they're concerned with your signing on to a rebellion against the moral law and the God who uh, and the God of it. I mean, this happened to Bernard Nathanson. Nathanson was a media darling when he was uh, willing to be the face of abortion promotion. But once uh, it, you know, he he kicked over the traces of that, spilled the beans, and converted to Catholicism, he began. He became the man who didn't exist. He, he was. Did, did that? Did that change Nathan's? Nathanson's DNA, did the water of baptism on his forehead change his DNA? Right. I mean, yeah, I, I, exactly. He was still born of a Jewish mother. Why is there no solidarity here then among Jews? There should be if, if some type of ethnic solidarity here based on accidents of birth. Well, it's not true. You just pointed out one of the prime examples. The other example is Oswald Rufeisen, the Jew who went to Israel and asked for citizenship and they turned him down because he had converted to Catholicism or was a priest. Well, wait a minute, that didn't change your DNA, did it? Your mother's still Jewish. 
That's still the correct. No, well, that's it's not. why that's this why is- the IHRA definition doesn't say someone who goes after uh, a Jew's uh, ethnicity. It says a certain perception of Jews, which means um, you know uh, anything we don't like, as you say. And and they're really not concerned. Their warring is not even uh, with flesh and blood. It's with uh, staying in power by um, by by making sure that. Um, they get away with breaking the moral law. Um, and if you object to their breaking the moral law, then you get to be treated as though you attacked their DNA. I mean, that's hideous. Yes. Yeah. And LifeSite News should know state. it. And so should every Catholic know it. But we're up against an age where uh, as our Catholic brethren, uh, you know, are going to save their own necks. Uh, this is this is this is not to preach the gospel. Look, if Christ loved us to the point of getting crucified for us, we have to ask ourselves at this point: Are we willing to get crucified by this power for love of Him? It seems to me that's what they that's why they're coming down on the wrong side of this. They don't want to face that question. They want to believe they can uh, avoid this. Well, no, the Jewish power is dragging them to it. You're going to sign on to this, but. Not- not only that, you're not only going to sign on, you're going to enforce this. Yes, you're going to police for us. You're going to police for Catholics. us. You're going to impose this on Catholics. Now, this, I don't want to single out LifeSite News here, even though that's what we're EWTN, doing. But the fact that we're every having, bishop, you know. EWTN, uh, my, uh, my bishop here, again, uh, completely accepts this Jewish interpretation of uh, anti-Semitism, no factual basis whatsoever, no basis in reality, and then has uh, the the chutzpah, to use that term, to try and impose it on Catholics. Wait a minute, this is not the gospel? Why are you talking as if there's somehow a, a, a gospel imperative or some type of moral imperative to what you're saying? The question is very simple. Is it a sin to criticize Jews? Yeah. Yes or no? Yes or no? <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> well, uh, did, did most criticize Jews, okay? Uh, so is he an anti-Semite? Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ criticized Jews. He was God. Yeah. Do you are you telling me God committed a My, sin? You... Then why are you telling me that I cannot criticize Jews? What are you, what are you saying? There's no moral imperative here. What you're using talking about is uh etiquette you're talking about well polite people don't talk that way this is completely pharisaical because it's the imposition of human regulations on the faithful in the name of the gospel which is completely wrong and inappropriate Yeah. yeah no it is it is um i was thinking you know um when you when you when you have that spirit of rebellion against God, it's because you want to be your own God, right? So it's not surprising that you start start um, start sounding like God in a perverse way. Like um, I was thinking of Saint John saying, um, "Now these three things uh, remain: faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love." What I hear today in our, you know, uh, Christless culture is now these three things remain homophobia, Islamophobia and anti-Semitism. And the greatest of these 
is anti-Semitism. And the way that operates is um, if you're, let's, let's take the pool of religious uh, believers, okay? Um, Jews, Muslims, and Christians. If you're a Christian now, you can have your religious rights kicked over by a charge of all three, homophobia, Islamophobia, you can be, uh, or, and, and you're Islamophobic if you replace, if you object to having your demographic power replaced with Muslim immigration, largely through destabilizing the Middle East on behalf of Israel. And, and then you're an anti-Semite if you point out who's behind uh, both, uh, you are getting punished for uh, adhering to um, the moral law and human sexuality, and uh, trying to, um, you know, have a, a, a culture, a Christian culture. Now, if you're a Muslim, um, they can check your power also by charging you with homophobia to keep you down or anti-Semitism. And they love to keep the Christians and the Muslims from uniting and becoming one by, uh, you know, bifurcating and on the, the fictional left, um, you know, saying that, uh, uh, um, oh, you know, you should you should really object to um, uh, Christians because they they're not with you. The people who uh, uh, homosexuals are with you. And then on the right saying, you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't join the you, you shouldn't love Muslims and you shouldn't try to talk to them because they just want to replace you. But of course, if you bring up that the Jews are doing the um, um, uh, behind the uh, immigration, then you're an anti-Semite now. Let's go to the last group, the Jews. None of those charges can take them down. You call them homophobes, you're an anti-Semite. You call them Islamophobes, you're an anti-Semite. It's just as simple as that. So they've replaced themselves. We are not allowed the moral law. We are not allowed to follow God. We must serve this power as God. And that power is the power it's indistinguishable, that spirit, it's, that power is informed by a spirit which is positively satanic. I will not serve. It's that, that, that's its cry. That's the nature of its rebellion. And we, the, the people, have got to stop pretending that this is what we're objecting to and quit saying, Oh, you just want to say Jews are uh, bad people and, you know, you shouldn't attack people. That's just a bloody cop out. That's the situation. It's up to these people to address the situation because the situation is getting out of control. Yes. Uh, Reign of terror is not my term. It was Cook's term talking about Europe right now. And it's being used. Uh, behind the scene, behind the COVID screen, behind the election screen. This is actually what's happening on the ground. It's plan the plan is to impose it on the United States, which is one of the last bastions of free speech, because although they try and ruin your career here, they can't send you to jail here. This is going on right now, and everyone has to address it because everyone is the target of this Yes, of this everyone campaign. is the target of this campaign, and, and you're right. And I'm glad you brought up again that term, the reign of terror, because it reminds me of um, Joe Sobrin's essay for fear of the Jews. And he mentioned there the fear of uh, is the fear of Jewish power. And um, and he said, 
uh, the term anti-Semitism, you know, it, it, use, it loses its utility if it were defined. Um, and of course, the IHRA definition doesn't define it. You, you're, just, it you're just the victim of how someone is viewing you. So you can never really know whether you've uh, engaged in an anti-Semitic act or not, right? So, Joan, so uh, Soprin pointed out the reign of terror, um, it functions much like the word anti-Soviet activities functioned um, when the Jews were in power in Russia. It, all it does, the charge of anti-Semitism, it um, increases the power of the accuser and it um, um, uh, multiplies um, instances of it and, and, and keeps the public in a state of dread because they've never known, they will never know if they've uh, um, uh, um, crossed, uh, have engaged in anti-Semitic behavior or not. You know, he put it really well. He said, I once heard that, I once heard Star Wars described as anti-Semitic. Yeah, I was surprised, of course, but how could I say otherwise? You know, like, who knows? <laughs> what, what, what do the IHRA members have to say about that? We'll have to defer to them. Um, so no, this can't stand. This is thoroughly irrational. And Sobrin's point that was, you, in order to end that reign of terror, you don't need any amount of money. What you'd have to have is a thoroughgoing love of the truth. And that will lead you to say this to the Jewish power. You don't run this town. People just think you do. And once they stop thinking it, you stop running it. That's a good point. I think that's a good way to end this discussion. All right. Thanks so much, Mike. Only thing we have to fear is fear itself, as someone once said. And that's precisely the more people that stand up to this tyranny, the less power it has. Amen. Okay. Thank you, Dana. Thanks for thanks for talking to me. Thanks for the insight you've given us to the whole Canadian background to this atrocious article at LifeSite. Thanks so News. much, Mike. All right. What'd you think? Good. Yeah, Good. I'm gonna. I I want.